Uh, all right, everybody. Welcome to Marvel Champions Monthly. We're a fan podcast about the card game Marvel Champions, the LCG, um, published by Fantasy Flight Games. And tonight we have a special episode for you. Um, we have with us tonight one of the developers of the game, Caleb Grace. Caleb, welcome to our show. Hi, thanks for having me back. Uh, it's good to have you. And along with me, we have uh, Adderkop. Hey. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing pretty good. Um, really happy that I could make the time for, uh, for tonight. This is a pretty, pretty uh, fun thing to do. And, and so, Caleb, just so you know, I told Adderkop he couldn't ask all the questions that he really wanted to ask because we didn't want to get anyone in trouble. So I see we're using our made-up names. In that case, I'm Spider-Man. Spider- oh, yes, we have Spider-Man. That's right. Yep. <laughs> Spider-Man. We have uh, Crimson. Hey, what's up? And I promise I will not ask too much about X-Men, Fantastic Four, or any of the other really great uh, Marvel characters ever. Well, if you want to ask me about my favorite comic runs, I'll, I'll bore you to death. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's it's got to be X Men twenty five where uh, Wolverine loses his antimantium, right? Yeah, with with the hollow gambit card and everything. Oh my gosh, you're taking me back to high school. I bought that issue <laughs> off the stand. <laughs> yep, same here. And uh, and our fearless leader Kennedy Hawk will be in shortly. Hey, I'm here now. Well, I will be in a couple minutes, putting those darn kids to bed. But before we get too far into the show. Don't forget to click the Google Form link in today's show notes to make sure you fill out the MCM 2021 award show survey before February 15th. We'll be tallying those results and getting ready to record our Marvel Champions Monthly 2021 Best of Marvel Champions award show. Thanks. Um, just so you guys know, too, um, my wife just had a baby not too long ago. So if I have to jump out really quick and you're like, asking me something and I don't answer it's because I'm helping with that not because I'm ignoring you so hey congratulations uh, thank yes. you this is the first time actually we've got to talk to you since you came back yeah, yeah it's been pretty busy yeah so if anybody's listening and they want to support our patreon go ahead and do it because I need all the help we, we need all the help we can get so we need diapers staff <laughs> <laughs> is this your first child uh no it's not this is my fourth child so Ooh. okay <laughs> then you so, really are Oh. Yeah, so I, we're way outnumbered now. So yeah, it's a. Uh, I'm not kidding about having to leave potentially. So we'll see. Right. We'll see. But we, yo, we're really excited to have you back on. Uh, this is actually the first time I've been able to to join um, in a conversation with you. Um, I know that Adderkop has done a show with you before, where you talk about comics for a long time. I think that's all. You, is that all you guys talked about? Was comics? Um. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I don't know if there's anything else to talk about. But that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. It's definitely something I never get tired of talking about. You know, I, I was thinking about this the other day too. Um, there's a lot. There seems to be a lot of people in maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's just my perception of it. But that are like sometimes can get upset about Marvel Champions and how it like some it draw it can draw from movies or like other content besides comics. And I thought about it and I was like, you know what? Marvel Champions for me is its own universe. Like, I don't care where it draws from. It's all Marvel. But to me, it's its like own self-contained universe. So if it's a different hero or a different story for this hero than, than the last run that came out for that hero, I'm completely cool with it because 
I get to create my own story every time I go and play with that hero. If that makes sense. No, that does. does easily, yeah. Yeah, I really like that. That's that's one of the things that draws me to it, right? Is that you get to play as the hero um, and you get to make up a story, whether it's the campaign or like a, a campaign or not, you just you just go at it. So yeah, yeah. you can make your own campaigns. Well, we got enough campaign cards that we can actually make our own campaigns and use the different like rewards from the campaigns to, you know, have our own little like black market. <laughs> All right, Americano, what are we uh, What are we talking about tonight? Yeah, so we're going to talk. Uh, we brought Caleb on. He so graciously sp- spent his evening with us to talk about the Mad Titan Shadow box um, all the way through Nebula, War Machine, the Hood, Valkyrie, and Vision. So that sort of cycle, I guess, is what we'll call it, right? Um, because that's what's been released so far. So we won't get into, I mean, just so you know, Caleb, because I know that you guys are so far out in developing, I'm sure it's completely confusing to you when you get on, come on, talk to a, sh- talk to on a on a show of like, all right, I got to make sure I know what's out so I don't like ruin anything for anybody, you know? Oh, I used to be paranoid about that when I first started at the studio. This is so long ago now, but a long time I I refused to do uh, any kind of interview because I was so paranoid that I would say something. I would just get me fired, you know, that I would just like spill the beans on some product or, or something. Uh, yeah, we've gotten pretty, pretty used to keeping the lid on those things. Trust me, even as hosts asking you questions, we're paranoid about asking you the wrong questions because we're like, you know, we, we also want to make sure that, you know, we get to have you come back, that you guys enjoy your stay here and that the people listening get to enjoy the conversation. and. Yeah, it's, it's, I feel you. I really do. I completely understand. As much as, you know, there are, I would like to know specific things. There are a lot of listeners that, that stay away from even spoilers. You know, that the first that they've heard about something is when they read the FFG article that drops, you know, so we try and stay, we try and stay away from that. So, yeah, I was really happy to hear um, when, when the guys from Critical Encounters talked to me recently. Uh, one of them, I'm sorry, I can't remember exactly which one right now, but mentioned that they avoid spoilers and everything. And so for them, it, like the 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 final villain in the Mad Titan Shadow Box was like a big surprise because we had deliberately kept them off the packaging and out of the announcement articles. And I was just amazed we could even pull that off in this day and age where everything gets spoiled immediately on Facebook and Board Game Geek and everywhere, right? Yeah, definitely. I, I'm also one of those people who very much stay away from spoilers. You know, it's just, I, I guess I just don't read that much. <laughs> like I, I'm an audio <laughs> person. So like most of the podcasts that I'm listening to don't do spoilers. Just like we, we don't do heavy spoilers or anything like that. And, you know, most of the time, like, uh, of course, being in this verse, you, you, you know about the cycles that are coming out, but that's about it. And I enjoy it very much. Yeah, I, this is the this is the first time that I avoided spoilers completely for a uh, Mad Titan Shadow, and I got to say, I was extremely satisfied when I got the product in hand finally. Um, and I flipped through it, and not only was there the twist in it, uh, it's some of my favorite villains, and like it's one of my favorite corners of the Marvel universe. So I was super excited to see it. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. That's great. Well, I, and I'll tell you, Caleb, we just recently did. Um, a couple episodes, we finished up our 
our conversation about Mad Titan Shadow. And basically, we all came to the conclusion that it was one of our, if not one of our, if not our favorite, one of our favorite products for Marvel Champions. With the campaign that it has, the, the surprise, you know, when you're, you're expecting Thanos to be the big bad and he's not, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so we just decided, when we kind of separately, yeah, this is a great, this is a great product. So, so what, cause you were the, you were the lead designer, right? Is that, am I understanding that correctly? Yep. Yeah. Boggs and I have had this sort of leapfrog approach to the game. It's, it's not all cut and dry, but for the most part, we take turns uh, taking lead on different uh, cycles or waves, like you call them. Uh, and this one, this was my turn to, uh, to take lead. Yep. Okay. And so was it, was this box your idea or was it something that somebody else had the idea of and asked you to do it? Or is this something that you're like, you know what, this is the one I want to do. And this is my vision for it. Uh, well, that's, that's actually like a kind of a complex question and, and answer uh, because while I'm lead on it, um, we're always a team. And so every product, every, um, everything we do is, is sort of like everyone signs off on it. So we'll have a meeting where we get together and talk about where do we want to go next, right? And this, this actually goes back to like the, um, the origin of the game itself. Very early on, I, before I think we'd even finished the core set or, or maybe immediately after we'd finished the core, uh, we were asked to come up with a, like a line plan of like where, we, where we'd like to go for the first several years of the game. And, uh, and that was a document that I wrote, but it was definitely like with input from everybody else on the team. Um, so with each, with each new kind of wave, like we did Rise of Red Skull, that was the first one that we mapped out. And we started to plant the seeds of this whole Infinity Gauntlet thing with the, the reveal at the end that the, the Infinity Stone is what changed reality. And, um, you know, um, we did that one first and, and we knew as we were doing that one that the next one was going to be the Guardians of the Galaxy themed and, and Boggs was going to take lead on that. So when we got to that one, there's still a meeting where we still sit down and we, we, we go, okay, what should the story be and, and what villains and how do they connect? And then who are the heroes and what are their powers and so on and so on. And so we did the same thing here. So even though I'm lead on the wave, um, Boggs is very much involved from the beginning in helping me to craft a story and determine how the villains will behave differently. And in this particular case, actually at the time, uh, Andrew Navarro was our studio head and he was really excited about this one. And so he actually, uh, he, he's the one that came up with the idea that Thanos should not be the, the ultimate villain. Actually, I think at one point he was pushing for like, maybe we shouldn't even include Thanos. And I was like, man, we, we got to do Thanos. Like people want to fight Thanos. He was maybe a little concerned that it was going to be like, you know, a couple years after the movies and no one's going to care about Thanos anymore. And I was trying to like politely say like, the reason they're doing these movies is because Thanos has been around for decades now and, and people want to see him on the big screen. Like no one's getting tired of Thanos yet. Yeah, it was a little bit of back and forth to make sure that Thanos was in the box, but also, yeah, he wasn't going to be the final, the final villain. So um, that sort of collaborative effort, I think really does make for a, a stronger product because I think, you know, in, in Andrew's defense, my original story arc was, was pretty um, straightforward. 
you know, just fight your way through the Black Order to get to Thanos. Almost like a video game, right? Just like keep working up the ladder to the big boss. And uh, when when he kind of pushed us to like come up with something different, you know, at, at first it was a little frustrating, but then it was like, okay, no, there's a really good reason behind this. Like we can we can still give people Thanos in the middle of the box and he'll still be like, a, you know, a, a really epic fight and it'll be a great rewarding moment. But then we'll have this twist. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm really satisfied with, with how it turned out. And I love hearing people say that they love that twist or they didn't see it coming. Um, that's super rewarding to hear. Um, so that was a very long answer. I think I lost the script somewhere halfway through. <laughs> I hope I no, that was awesome because it really helps us get a, almost like a fly on the wall perspective of, you know, how you guys handled that. Right. I mean, getting to that point in, in the final product, I mean, you're not talking about every single thing that happened. Right. But um, it, it really helps us as fans of the game. Oh, okay. This is a collab. Cause obviously when you, when you collaborate with people, you're going to have more ideas, uh, uh, hive mind idea set, right. Where more ideas are better because you can, you can pick and choose the best ones that, that work the best. So. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's it's a real give and take because, uh, you know, like everybody I talk about in that story is a very creative uh, individual. We're all very passionate about our ideas. And so, you know, maybe I make it sound like, oh, yeah, we all just talk through it. It's like it gets heated sometimes. You get a little <laughs> nervous, <laughs> like especially when you're disagreeing with the boss. You know, that, that adds a whole nother dimension to it. Um, you mean it's yeah, like yeah. a normal job where where people disagree and they they have to talk about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hold on. You mean game design isn't just a bunch of dudes that are pals hanging out in a room designing a game in the first shot? Oh, it's pretty oh. close, but no, there's a couple wrinkles. <laughs> oh, only in the okay. beginning. Game design is like grudge music. In the beginning, you're you're in a, a garage, just playing your heart's content, making cool stuff, and then it turns corporate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. You know, one minute you're in Seattle, the next minute you're in L.A. Oh. <laughs> hey, what's wrong with L.A.? Oh. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, so uh, I saw that Kennedy Hawk is able to join us now. I'll call, I'll call him out so that he can... It's not just awkward when he comes and asks a question. Um, but since we're talking about Mad Titan Shadow right this second, which, I mean, if you had to pick one villain scenario in that box that's your favorite to, or that you're most proud of. Um, I, I, I mean, again, you're proud of the product itself and it, but, but which villain are you most proud of and, and why would you be most proud of that villain? There is a correct oh, answer. That is so hard. Cause that's like saying, who's your favorite child, you know, <laughs> like, like I can tell you, <laughs> he's got enough of them. Man, he's so many freedom of choice. Look at that. He could pick any of them. Oh my goodness. I I really have a hard time answering that. Like I kind of I could kind of rule them out, you know, like uh like the first one's definitely not my favorite. I I really like it. I like Ebony Ma, but here's the thing, a little bit of insider info on how we approach these boxes if if, if this isn't obvious already. Uh, the first villain is almost always going to be like the easiest one in the box and the most intro level in terms of complexity um, because we try to approach every one of these products as like, 
this might be someone's first experience. Maybe maybe someone else bought the core set and they're like, hey, I just got this new Mad Titan Shadow campaign. You want to learn the game and play with me? They might skip Rhino and go straight to the Mad Titan Shadow campaign, right? So we want to make sure that first scenario is going to be simple enough that somebody learning the game can can grasp it. While we still want to make it interesting enough that you know veteran players are still having a good time. But as a result, the first one's almost never going to be my favorite. And uh, sometimes the last one is not my favorite because we always want to make sure the last one is like appropriately difficult, right? Like it's the culmination of the box. It should be hard. If you get to the final villain and you feel like he's a pushover, then that that's a big letdown. Um, so I really like the Loki scenario. I like the changing Lokis and everything. Um, so really, now now the other three, it's harder for me to choose from. Uh, because I really, really like the, uh, the, the tower defense scenario just for how, um, I like the two villains that I'm fan of, I'm a fan of these characters, Proxima Midnight, Corvus Glaive. Um, I like their, their relationship, like they're horrible people, but they genuinely like love each other. It's like, what is going on here? Um, and there's some kind of like lore about them that like, like one of them can't die when the other's around. It was fun to incorporate that into the scenario. Um, and just the whole like different loss condition. That's one thing as a designer that's fun is to mix it up and go, okay, this scenario is going to be completely different because there's a different way to lose. And, um, so that was a lot of fun to develop. Of course, Thanos has got to be up there cause he's Thanos and, the the, the snap, the moment that he can like make half of your deck disappear. <laughs> it's a, it's a big one for me. Um, that was a Nate French request. He 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 liked. Uh, we went and saw the movie together. He really liked that, and he was like, "Hey, could you maybe find a way to work that into the scenario?" And that was really exciting to me. Plus the Infinity Gauntlet, right? Um, awesome. But when it comes right down to it, I think I think Hella might be my favorite um, for its uniqueness. Like just the this was me kind of um, feeling nostalgic about working on Lord of the Rings and how Lord of the Rings is very quest driven. And there's this sense of progress as you move from one location to the next and uh, that sense of story. And so designing Hella was fun because it was like, you know, this, uh, the story, this, I think this one probably has the most story to it of, of any that I've done yet. This, you're on this quest to rescue Odin which is pretty epic in scale, you know, and then, uh, but you have to journey through the Nippalir and then over the bridge of Yallerbrew to get to finally get to the Hall of Nestrand where, you know, you have to defeat each guardian. And I, I don't know, um, the reception of that one's kind of been through the roof too. So that's, that's a good feeling as well. No, so they're all pretty it does, close. It, it does have a good feel with that. If you played Lord of the Rings, um, yeah, it definitely has that feel of you know the travel to the next to the next location, next location. I enjoy it. So I'll say I've played very little Lord of the Rings, admittedly, but Caleb, Hella is my absolute favorite scenario in the game. Like there's a, the top scenario for me. Period. There's so, a digital form of Lord of the Rings that you can come play with me anytime you want. Oh, it's really awesome. Yeah, I wasn't really sure how people would respond to it, uh, to be completely honest. Like, the playtesters were all very encouraging, uh, which which was great. 
Um, but that's it's a very you know small kind of sample size of of once it gets out into the world. Um, so that was yeah, I think that one's really special to me just because uh, people have been so vocal about their enjoyment with that one. Is this kind of like surprise thing? Like, imagine what it takes to shine in a in a Thanos centric box with the Infinity Gauntlet, and and to get like mentioned above that at times. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. Something no, in there that resonated with people. Absolutely. I think the story helps. And and I think mechanically for me, one of the things that I really like about that scenario is that these attachments that she has, you can't just do a hero action and spend resources to get rid of them. Rid of them. You have to... It's built into her, her uh, villain card that once you defeat her, right, you flip her over and then uh, I think that's how you get rid of them. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. that I mean that's I mean that's just another unique thing that you guys did with that scenario that I was just like, you know what, I appreciate that because it, I mean while you can be thematic somewhat with um the different resource types, you know, to discard a, an attachment, this is just another way to do it that's that's unique. So Well, I'm I'm glad that uh resonated for you as, as well because uh, that's one of my favorite things about being a game designer is when you you land on on a hook, like for this one, the idea of, you know, this isn't our first time doing a villain that's double-sided. We did that, you know, with the collector. That was something that Boggs came up with in the Galaxy's Most Wanted. That was really cool. And I saw an opportunity to borrow that idea and just do it a little different. Um, and so what's fun is, is uh, in, in both of those uh, cases with the collector and with Hella, once you land on that idea, then you just you just get to play with it and just see what else can I do with this, you know? And like, oh, how about if attachments, you know, you can't just get rid of them, you gotta defeat her. You lean into the the thing that you came up with and then try to design everything around that as uh, to really make it feel tight. Yeah, what I really liked about that was a lot of scenarios kind of encourage you to just keep stabilizing the board and then go for the villain whenever there's like a safe opportunity. But with both mm -hmm. Collector 2 and Hella, there's this like incentive to hitting the villain to remove her attachments or to weaken the collector's stats. And it gives you a whole new like decision mechanic as a player. Um, that's a really rewarding decision when you choose the right one. And it's a really horrifying one when you choose the wrong path, but that makes it exciting. So it's appreciated. Yeah. So fingers crossed, we'll get some more of these like checkpoint style scenarios that is so prevalent in the Lord of the Rings, because I think that that's, a style that I really enjoy. So selfishly, my fingers are crossed. But all right. Um, oh, so you so you mentioned uh, sometimes. So this this Thanos centric centric box, but he's not the the big bad at the end. So how mad is Thanos that Loki was tricking him the whole time in this campaign? Like <laughs> that that Loki is the was the the final boss battle for everybody. And that he was just, just, he was tricking for lack of a better term, tricking Thanos. Like, are we going to, are we going to see like a, like some vengeance later on? Yeah, like I just, I just thought of now how, you know, the, the comic book, uh, you don't get to see the fallout of that. Do you? You don't, you don't get to see uh, Thanos, you know, like brooding somewhere in a prison cell, like, yeah, after being defeated by the Avengers, going, oh, that doggone Loki. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, those uh, those comics are so small, we can't fit a whole lot of story into them. So 
there's a lot of interesting questions like that. Like where, where's Thanos now and, and how upset is he? Um, we'll see. Uh, hopefully this game line will, uh, you know, will continue to go on long enough that maybe we can circle back around to some of these stories and pick up those loose threads. Awesome. Um, so I, I had a I wanted to ask a question that's related to the this campaign box, but I think the boxes in general. And you've probably talked ad nauseum about this, but and, and it's you know give me as short of an answer as you'd like. Um, but the whole idea of this, it's like a pseudo, and I don't want to say pseudo, but it's almost like a it's a semi pod based deck building, right? Where so for the heroes, you take the their fifteen card hero kit, and then you can mix and match all these, uh, following the deck building rules, the aspect and basic cards. Um, but with the scenarios, it's a little different in that it it really is well th for most of the scenarios, barring like Wrecking Crew, and Kang. Um, but you're taking these the scenario, and then you're taking modular sets, and so it really is, and standard set. Um, it is a pod based deck building game for the for the villain side right mm -hmm. um my my question is what led to the modular sets being so like being such a huge part of the game because honestly that's a that's so much fun that you can throw the goblin glider in with loki right it, it, and it's i mean that's that's reminiscent of comics of the comics but i mean that's not something that you are, I mean, you kind of see it in the hero side, but you definitely see it in the villain side. So mm -hmm. I'm curious as to how that developed. And I know this has been years and years ago now that you originally, you guys came up with this. You know, I can, I can remember the origin of that very clearly. Uh, it was really uh, Nate French led that initiative. Um, we, you know, we knew we were doing, like you said, on the hero side, we knew it was going to be um, each hero would have their 15 card kit and then we would have aspect and basic cards to help carve up the card pool. That's just kind of, you know, customizable gaming 101 that you want to have this diversified card pool where you have to make choices that partly limit your options, but also give you, you know, a path to take with your deck. Um, then on the encounter side though, it was sort of like just trying to learn every lesson we could from Lord of the Rings and Arkham where, we knew for a fact that we're going to need to have encounter sets that are used between the scenarios and that's large um just for space you know you just you can't fit enough cards into one box if if the player decks and the scenarios are all completely self-contained that that's just too many cards so we we need to be able to share cards between the uh in scenarios um now with um with Lord of the Rings and Arkham, it's a very different tone. It's, it's um, like you mentioned, Marvel's more like anything goes, right? Like if Loki wants to ride a goblin glider, why not? He's probably done it in the comics or he's probably done something even sillier, you know? So that's, we kind of embraced the, the, the IP allows us to do stuff that we couldn't really do in our other LCGs. So it, it worked both from the necessity standpoint of making it possible to fit five scenarios into one box. But then it also worked in the sense of like more customization. So here's kind of a deep, a deep cut answer is, um, yeah. So this, uh, this idea of, of um, customizable encounter decks actually goes all the way back to the origin of the Lord of the Rings card game. 
uh, Nate shared with me some conversations he had at the time where he thought it would be cool if people could customize the encounter deck to make it harder or easier. And uh, I guess that idea, long story short, that idea was a little too revolutionary at that time. And, and certain people in, in a position to make that decision like didn't, didn't believe in that idea at the time. So that was kind of shot down. Um, and, and then so it was sort of like, here we are uh, 10, 10 years later and we're making this game uh, because Lord of the Rings was so successful in, in paving the way for customizable cooperative games to be a thing that Arkham Horror goes on to be one of our biggest hits. And now we've uh, gotten a hold of the Marvel IP and we're going to make a Marvel game. And so Nate's like, look, here's this thing that I, that I always wanted to do, you know, that I, that I think would really work in this setting. And uh, I just, I don't remember there being any pushback at all to that idea. I, I will confess though, that I was not sure um, how many people would be interested in it. Like I wasn't against it, but I also wasn't like, oh yeah, that's amazing. That's gonna be like a hallmark of the game that everybody wants to do. Um, and so I, I was just very pleasantly surprised by how many people are like, oh my gosh, this is great. There's a, there's a new modular set. And I can't wait. And just the example of someone on a goblin glider, that's that's what always gets bandied about. Everyone's like, oh, cool. Now I can put Ultron on a goblin glider. And it's just great to hear. Everyone's so excited about it, you know? Um, so I got to give all of that credit uh, to Nate. And I think Boggs saw the potential, you know, maybe a little bit before I did too. I don't know why I was so late to the party on that one. Uh, but I'm so glad that those guys had the, the vision to make sure that got included from the start. That's awesome. Yeah, it's nice that the Marvel What If show is out now because the modular sets really fulfill that like what if fantasy. I've seen people play like Ultron with the Infinity Gauntlet scenario and all sorts of things to mimic the show, and it's it's really cool. Nice. That is fun to hear. Yeah. That was so the Infinity Gauntlet is actually one of those things where like I'm kind of proud of myself for um, you know just just learning that lesson. Like, like I said, like, you know, Boggs and Nate really understood from the beginning, hey, we want more modular sets. Because I think for me, what it was is I worked on Lord of the Rings for eight years. And uh, Lord of the Rings is a very different IP in terms of its, its tone and kind of the seriousness. Like, you know, I wouldn't even joke about, you know, like uh, Smeagol riding on a fell beast instead of a Nazgul or something. Like that would just, I would be so angry to hear someone suggest that you should do that in the game. I'd be like, that is not what this game is about. And uh, I think I was so used to, I was like so used to saying no to things and, and being very protective that it took me a while to kind of like realize, okay, Marvel's very different. I don't need to be that guy. I don't, that's, that's not a role anyone really needs to play here. Um, so with the Affinity Gauntlet, it was where I think I finally crossed the, uh, the finish line of that, that, uh, you know, that journey to get to that point where I was like, wait, why would I make this exclusive to Thanos? Like anybody could use this. That would be like, people might want to buy the box just so that they could give the infinity gauntlet to like their favorite villain, you know, 100%, 100%. Yeah. So I was, you know, like, again, just really grateful to my coworkers for helping me to get to that place where it's like that, that actually sounds like a lot of fun to me. Of course I want to go and play Rhino with the infinity gauntlet now on a goblin glider. <laughs> So you mentioned Lord of the Rings um, and its influence there. Um, 
So it makes me wonder, you know, because there's there's obviously the de the design elements that have gone from Lord of the Rings to Marvel Champions, or whether it's intentional or not. There's like uh, you know analogous uh, analogous uh, abilities, like um, off the top of my head, Ebony Maw's invocation counters are a lot like time counters. Um, sure. But uh, if you were uh, if you were able to create one more scenario for Lord of the Rings, um, is there anything from Marvel Champions that uh, that you'd like to see it, at, in Lord of the Rings? Oh man, um, that's a question I just wasn't prepared for. <laughs> uh, let's see. I think my one of my favorite elements of of Marvel Champions that I would love to see implemented somehow in Lord of the Rings is just how the the villain can really respond to what you're doing in terms of they they attack you when you're in hero form they scheme when you're in alter ego form they have their own agenda that they're like to me the villains in marvel champions uh, you know they're they're so they're, they're much more the central focus of the game and they feel a little bit more living and breathing uh, as a result sure um, yeah so if i could somehow bring that you know port that over to a Lord of the Rings scenario where you're fighting someone and it feels like they're responding to what you're doing and countering your plays. And that would be, that'd be compelling. Yeah. I, I feel like, um, as far as villains go again, off the uh, top of my head, uh, Thardir, I uh, kind of feels like he does a lot of extra things and that's just, you know, cause he's baked, baked into the mechanics, right? He does a lot of extra things, but anytime as a player that you're up against him, you always feel like, Oh, perfect. This is exactly gonna happen now i lose an ally now i take you know this damage to the face stuff like that 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 really does feel interactive but like the big boss battle mechanic uh is perfect for marvel champions and i feel like it is a little present in lord of the rings there's certainly a number of scenarios where we conceived of them for lord of the rings that uh, we conceived of them as as boss battles right where there's definitely other things going on, but the, the main thrust of the scenario is just, you got to fight this guy. Um, yeah. It's just so, such a different game though, because you know, that's a game where you can no ally limit, right? So you can just build up an entire army. So it's, it's not very, it's not always a very personal fight. You know, sometimes it's like, here's my swarm of outlands characters that are going to take down <laughs> this bad guy. My, my three Hobbit heroes did all the work. Everybody else. Come on, carry us out. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, the ally limit was actually something that grew directly out of Lord of the Rings, uh, which which I should be very clear. I don't see that as a weakness of Lord of the Rings. That is a fellowship game. You are building a, a fellowship, so it needs to be at least nine characters that you can play and maybe more. Um, but with Marvel, we knew it needed to be centered around the hero. That, you, you know, we're really trying to make you feel like you are Spider-Man or you are Miss Marvel. And so we want to make sure that that's the, the focus of the experience and we want you to have allies, but it was like, if I could just play as many allies as I want, then it's not about me anymore. Now it's about this whole swarm of allies that I have. Um, right. So that's where the limit of three came from. And, and the consequential damage, this idea that allies will not stick around forever. They got other things they got to do. You know, they're, they're fragile as well. Yeah. That um, was, that was one of my favorite things getting into the game is, that the ally mechanic was was drastically different um, than Lord of the Rings, and it was less building a fortress and uh, kind of absorbing all the bad things, and rather just responding to them as they came up. Um, but thematically, um, obviously, I've read quite a few comics. Uh, I love team up books, and mm -hmm. they're always one, two, maybe three issues, 
and that's that seems like the amount of time that I get to keep uh you know a Maria Hill on the table or a, a Squirrel Girl on the table or Nick Fury pops in and even though you know that he could do more he is leaving at the end he has better things to do mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah that's I I love that about the uh, ally mechanic in this game cool. I really like the thing you were just talking about, about feeling like you were playing as the hero or identity you select. So in, in Lord of the Rings, when you designed heroes for the adventure packs and for the deluxe boxes, it was kind of like one hero card is the hero, and then the player gets to build a 50-card deck with a couple of heroes um, to generate their resources. So can you mm-hmm. maybe overgo, overgo the distance? Ugh, wow. Can you overview the differences between hero design and Lord of the Rings where... You know, the player still has a 50-card deck to craft versus champions where they have, like, a 25-card deck to craft. Is there a big change in design philosophy between designing a one-card hero and, like, a 15-card hero? Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. So, like, to kind of recap, in Lord of the Rings, you know, the vast majority of heroes, their hero card, that's it. That's what they got, you know, to to represent kind of a snapshot uh, of who they are. Um, some heroes like Aragorn and Elrond and Gandalf, you know, they have like attachments that are specific to them that can help to develop their character. You know, you can give Aragorn the shards of Narsil, you can give Gandalf his staff or Galadriel her ring, and it helps to expand their character and develop them out a little bit, but that's still just one or two cards. Um, it was, it's actually kind of amazing to think back like how much story we could actually tell with just a few cards. Um, that it was really fun to see players of that game respond to you know, the heroes and how they felt. Um, but, but as I mentioned earlier, Lord of the Rings was always a, a game about building up a fellowship. You weren't playing as Aragorn and Gandalf. You, know, you were sort of like along for the ride is kind of how it felt to me. Like I'm, I'm playing these cards and I'm directing them. I'm kind of, I'm kind of there with them on this journey. Um, whereas like, like I said, Marvel is very much, you are playing as this character. We even tried to write the rules as best we could to, you know, explain that you are this person to really immerse you in that feeling. Um, and, and yeah, very early on, we said, you know what, a, a hero card, just one hero card, you know, we know from experience that's not going to be enough to really bring this character to life, to really make me feel like I'm Spider-Man. You can't just give me a double-sided identity. I need web slingers. I, I need, uh, you know, my spider tracers, and I need all my special moves so I can backflip out of the way or swing in and kick the villain. Um, yeah, so we decided early on, like, it's going to be a kit. And, and that was a two-part, like, it's going to pump up the theme, it's going to really help differentiate the heroes, but it's also going to lower the barrier of deck building for new players. That was something else we're trying to do with Marvel Champions early on, as we said, we want this game to be our most accessible card game yet. You know, the, our most accessible LCG. Like, Lord of the Rings is very special to me. It's still one of my all-time favorite games. Um but it, it is, it, it's a bit of a, a bear to learn to play that game. I, I've always told people it's like learning to ride a bike. Like, uh, it's difficult at first. Once you get it, it makes sense, and it's a lot of fun, and it's just great. You know, now I'm cruising down hills and around turns and everything. But it's, you know, it's not like a game you're just going to pull out on a Sunday afternoon when you got company over, and they're kind of casual gamers, and be like, yeah, you guys want to try this? Like, it's a bit of an investment. 
Whereas champions, we really thought, uh, you know, if, if we do it right, we can make it where you could, you know, I think I've said this before, it's not a game for kids, but it's a game that you can play with your kids. Um, that was kind of in our design uh, vision. Um, and so the 15 card set plays into that because uh, the next step from learning the game is, is going then and customizing your deck. And uh, it's fewer cards. It's fewer cards that you need to, to take out and rearrange. It's, um, it also kind of points you in a direction. If a hero, uh, who's a good example, you know, like Hawkeye, he's a hero with a very specific direction of what he's trying to do. Um, you can you can go and look through your cards and go, what's going to help him do this thing he's trying to do? Or what's going to make up for his weak spots? It really informs your deck building. Um, so yeah, that's that's where the differences largely come from. I like your analogy of it's like riding a bike. My uh, my group's about to start our first nightmare deck play of a Lord mm. of the Rings scenario, and I feel like I'm about to take my training wheels off. And as my son would say, that's not safe, Dad. That's just not safe. So <laughs> I'll let you know how it goes after Saturday, but I'm I'm nervous. It's the dangerous business going out your door. Yep. So in the follow-on wave for Mad Titan Shadow, we got one hero pack that goes with each aspect in the game. We got one justice, leadership, and then aggression, protection, depending on where you live in the world. Is this something that sort of falls naturally out of your design process, where you're distinctly trying to keep all the aspects balanced? And how does that come about? Do you sort of design the characters and then figure out which aspect fits them? Or sometimes do you sort of design a really cool aspect pack and then say, hey, what character goes well with this aspect? Oh, man. You're, you're talking about that uh, each of those four heroes comes with a different one of the four aspects so that at the end of the wave you get all four. That's that's a very deliberate uh, thing that we try to do with every uh, wave of the game. Um, we did that with the Galaxy's Most Wanted and with the Rise of Red Skull. Um, though I think I think Gamora had like a blend of, of attack events as part of her abilities. She can include some some off-color attack cards. Um, so we have a little bit of rule breaking, but for the most part, yeah, that's something we track very carefully. We want to make sure that all four of the aspects feel uh, equally developed um, so that if someone it really enjoys playing leadership as like their favorite aspect, I don't, we don't want them to look at the aggression player and be jealous like, oh, the aggression's got so many more cards than I do. Um, yeah, we really try to keep track of that. So we know, we know going in that if we're doing a four hero packs, then we're going to do one in each aspect. So from there... It, yeah, there's like I mentioned our vision, you know, meeting where we talk about everything. That's part of that meeting is we'll say, okay, here's the heroes we're gonna do. We're gonna do Nebula, War Machine, Valkyrie, Vision. Uh, who do you think should be the aggression hero? Who should be the protection hero? You know, and sometimes there's like real obvious choices, and then other times it's like, well, either one of these heroes could really be this. Still need a leadership one, so we'll, we'll make this guy aggression and this one leadership just because we want to make sure all four are represented. Um, so we do our best to tie it to, you know, to the theme. Like, I, I think War Machine might have been an obvious choice for an aggression uh, deck, but, you know, someone like Valkyrie, we're like, no, actually, we really want to see her in aggression that really helps her kit what she's trying to do 
And uh, War Machine's a longtime Avenger. You know, he's been a leader several times. You know, he's he's an officer. Like he he works for leadership, so we'll we'll make him leadership so that Valkyrie can be aggression. Those are how those conversations go sometimes. It's really cool. Oh, I was super happy to see Valkyrie and aggression. Uh, like I mentioned before, you know the Asgardian stuff. I'm really interested in it. I like it. It's some of my favorite. Um, I also really like playing champions to just smash stuff. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. When I saw Valkyrie gave me a, a grip of red cards, I was super excited, and I was like, "All right, cool, Valkyrie and Thor. Let's let's just race something." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was definitely in the back of our mind. It was like, okay, how how well did Valkyrie and Thor? team up how much fun is it to play those two side by side i mean they don't they don't actually gel a lot in the in the comic books uh but just the fact that they're both asgardian you you know when you bring them to the table you want to see them together right right yeah i mean if there's something to punch they will punch it and figure out everything else later (laughs) that's something this wave did really well too so nebula kind of put a capstone on a bunch of guardians packs and guardians tribal synergy and War Machine hit up Avengers again with a bunch of new Avengers releases. Valkyrie obviously helped the Asgard trait and tribal sort of synergies. And then Vision introduced something new like the Android trait and the Android synergy we got in that pack. So how often um, do you find it's difficult or how often do you try to balance supporting old traits and tribes versus um, introducing something like a new tribe or trait to the game? Yeah, it really depends. Um, like, so one of the goals for this wave was to be the capstone to the sort of the, the whole first phase of the game. You know, what we started with Rise of Red Skull and continued with the Galaxy's Most Wanted. We, we really wanted to tie it off with a bow with, with this box. Uh, like you said, you know, we wanted Nebula as our final Guardian pack to make sure that we rounded out everything we wanted to see for the Guardians. And... Um, you know, War Machine, uh, as a leadership Avenger, gave us a chance to include some Avenger allies we wanted to see, like Captain America. Um, so when we got to Vision, it was sort of like we, we kind of accomplished everything we wanted to, and it was a fun opportunity to, uh, to tap into something that we haven't seen yet because it's a little more obscure. Like, Vision's a very popular character, but a lot of the comics that he features in are a little more niche. Um, and so it was sort of like, well, we already have like all the Avengers that we really wanted to see by now. Um, and Vision is an Android. So what if we took that opportunity then to build a little bit of Android synergy and include, because there was like an Avengers AI title for a while where it was like Android Avengers. And I thought that'd be that fun to, to dip into that. Yeah. So it was just kind of an opportunity. I think there wasn't necessarily some deeper rhyme or reason it was more about we accomplished everything else we needed to and we had this this opportunity then to to include more androids so and and i gotta say uh not not i don't know if you'll hear it but my my good buddy tim garrettson over uh you know i worked with for a while at fantasy flight interactive um he's a big fan of uh machine man and he was like can you can you just get machine man into the game for me so <laughs> I, I wanted to do some Android so I could get Machine Man in there for him. <laughs> there was a recent Iron Man run in comics. I think it was like Iron Man 2020 or something like that. Um, and there was this whole AI war going on in the world. And they had like all the different AI robots like Herbie from Fantastic Four. When that pack came out, I instantly thought of that and was just like, there's so many androids and droids we're going to get soon. I can't wait. <laughs> Please, Herbie. I want to read that. 
I had I had not heard of that one. That I'll sounds great. Right it. It's it's really funny. Like the Machine Man's a main character in it, and he kidnaps somebody at some mm-hmm. point, and he takes them to this like mythical thirteenth floor or something like that. And it's like there's no thirteenth floor in the elevator, but it stops there and it opens up, and it's all the AI robots that are teaming up. It's super cool. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, send me the link. I'll I'll definitely check that out. Um. So since you revisited a bunch of traits and mechanics, is there one mechanic or archetype that you wished you could have revisited but didn't get the chance to in this cycle? No, actually, I'm I'm super pleased with how tightly we were to wrap everything up. Um, at least from my point of view, you know, like there, from my point of view, there was no loose threads left hanging for Avengers and Guardians at this point. I know there's still popular characters, and that's just that's going to be a perennial problem for this line until we've been around for maybe a couple of decades or something. Cause there's just such a deep pool to draw from. Um, but beyond the fact that we haven't been able to do everybody's favorite Avenger yet in terms of themes and mechanics. Yeah. I'm really, really happy because it felt like, okay, cool. We, we did that. We, we did what we set out to do. It's done. It's good. We're getting positive feedback. Now we're ready to move on to the next phase uh, of the game line. Um, so I'm, that's, I'm just really excited for, for where that's going. That was a question, um, a community member had was, is this kind of like the end of that original pitch that you've talked about before and the new content or sinister motives and beyond is kind of going on to like the next big pitch or was there like, was this sort of like an add on to that original? Uh, no, actually my, so yeah, I mentioned, I mentioned that I was asked to sort of draft, um, what what would be most accurately described as like a tentative line plan like basically this is not a this is not set in stone the, this is not like for sure where everything's going to go but it's like let's just let's think about it now instead of waiting uh to just come up with it after every wave wraps up like for perspective that's more or less how lord of the rings was when i first started and eventually we started planning further ahead and we realized how we could tell better stories. If we knew before we got to the end of a cycle, if we knew where we wanted to go next, we could help the whole game kind of steer it there. Um, So again, just trying to learn from experience. And so it was like, let's actually just sit down and and map out as many waves as we can, you know, within reason. So um, we have not yet reached the end of that uh, outline like even in development that outline went pretty far into the future um and like i say it's it's always up for grabs we're always uh kind of holding it with an open hand so that we can move and adjust when we need to but it's exciting yeah it's exciting to know we have a plan and that uh the first part of it now feels complete and feels successful nobody's gonna jump on the next question um you (laughs) you answered like my next three with that that question well, I thought I thought maybe I just put you guys to sleep. No, no, no. <laughs> I saw like, I saw Dan lighting what? up, and I thought he was tr- like in the process of saying something, and I'd open my mouth, and it would it would light up first, and I'm like, oh no, wait, and then stop and light up again. <laughs> I did I did poll the community and get some community questions, and I told them they couldn't ask rules questions, and they couldn't ask Akbar questions, and I'm glad they all understood I meant trap questions. So I thought I'd read some of them, and we can see. Um, a bunch of them we kind of asked along the way, like about tribes and Android and Asgard. But I thought the first question was really funny. I said, we have a, an interview with Caleb coming up. Does anybody have any community questions? And the first question was, when is the interview? So I can tell them it's right now. 
we're recording it. Um, <laughs> but one of the questions that came up when picking characters um, to like pick your heroes, what are like the biggest considerations? Are you looking at hero popularity, um, MCU influence, or tie-ins with upcoming things? Or do you think of like a mechanic that you say, "Wow, that would really fit Miss Marvel," or "That would really fit this character"? What's the what's the idea behind how you pick which characters you pick? Oh, that's a great question, and it's uh, it's it's a it's a bit of an answer. So so bear with me. I wish I could say it's as simple as as X, Y, or Z, but it's it's kind of all of the above. Um, there's there's a lot of considerations. Uh, I'll I'll get the least interesting one out of the way first, and that is like connection to to the MCU or Disney Plus, that's absolutely a consideration. Uh, I mean, it would just be silly if it wasn't. That's that's like the biggest, uh, most successful, you know, media blockbuster uh, ever right now that's out there. You know, it's like, of course we want to piggyback off that. You know, we, we just don't have anything compared to the kind of budget they have to, to get those, those names out into public consciousness. You know, names like Miss Marvel, who's going to be getting her own show soon, you know, um, Thor, who is this, you know, huge movie star now. And, um, you know, people forget there was a time where people didn't know that Thor was a comic book character, you know, like, <laughs> um, so yeah, we were absolutely going to try to be aware of what the MCU is doing or where they're going. But I also want to dispel any myths that we have some kind of inside information. We do not. Um, Marvel's a great partner to us, uh, Marvel and, and Disney. Uh, they're really great to us. It's great working with them. But, um, you know, the secrecy on those projects is like next level. It's like in contracts, you know, there's, there's like big money fines. So they're not, they're not risking that stuff by sharing it with us. You know what I mean? Um, so I've just been really pleased that uh, a lot of the um, alignment that has happened between our products and what's going on in the MCU right now has, it's been a lot of serendipity. It's been a lot of good guesswork. Um, there's been a few characters that I remember putting forward and suggesting like, Hey, I think we should do this character. And people kind of looked at me like, who is that? You know? And I was like, just, just trust me. I think this is a very popular character in the books. They've been around a long time and they'll kind of be like, well, okay. As long as you know, you got a reason for why you think that character is important. And then it'll be like six months later, and Disney will announce like, you know, this character is getting their own show. And they'll be like, did you know that? I'm like, no, I had no idea. I just, I know what, what a good character is. Um, so that's been fun, uh, but it's mostly just been good, good fortune. Um, so of course that's a consideration, but from there it's, it's actually more about what are we, what do we want to do in the line at the time? So like, I just got done talking about how the first phase of the game was conceived of as, Avengers and Guardians and then coming together to fight Thanos. So that of course narrows our decisions down like immediately of like, we're not doing, um, you know, street level characters yet. We're not doing the Defenders right now because we're doing the Avengers, we're doing the Guardians. So from there, it really narrows the list and it kind of becomes um, a little pragmatic at that point, to be honest. There's there's a blend of like, I'd really like to design this character and also will this character actually sell a pack, if that makes sense. You know, because at the end of the day, you know, we gotta we gotta sell packs to stay employed. So um 
you know, the difference between choosing Captain America and somebody else really comes down to, well, Captain America is someone that people recognize. He's going to sell, and he'll be fun to design, so let's do Captain America. He goes on the list. And he's great. Um, <laughs> oh, thank you. He's, he's one of my favorites. Oh, my gosh. Uh, he's top two. <laughs> and he's a national hero, and everything that he did was actually a documentary filmed in real time, so we appreciate that. Only Doctor Strange is, num- is, is above him. <laughs> There, there's kind of a there's there's just a very short fun story behind that, which was uh, Steve Horvath, who is the you know head publisher for Asmodee North America, um, and and a big Marvel fan. You know, he just said to me, he's like, "Oh, you're doing Captain America? Just just make sure he's really good." You know, that was kind of was like, "Just make sure he's really good," because I'm a Cap fan. I'm like, "Well, I am too, no problem." So it was like, "Yep, he's he's really good." philosophy make sure that he just he does everything sure you got it <laughs> that was kind of it really was like when you think about the character in the books like what is it that makes captain america so great you know it's honestly not his superpower because like if you strip away everything you know about steve rogers he's just down to his superpower it's not the most exciting superpower it's the fact that he's such a well-rounded individual that really makes him so compelling so yeah that was that was deliberate. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Did I miss any part of that answer? Did uh, I think you was there more that? That was great. Okay. Cool. That was good. Um, another person asked a question similar about like whether you come up with the mechanic or the hero first. And I, told, I said someone already asked that, so they said, "Okay, I have a different question. Do you ever find yourself coming up with a really cool mechanic, but then holding it back because you think it'll fit a future hero that you might do better than the hero you're working on currently?" Um, oh my gosh. Now that is a great question. And it's, it's so on point that I wonder if there's like some kind of insider <laughs> leaking this information. <laughs> Cause that's, that's honestly been one of my kind of one of my tropes as, as a designer, especially where, wherever I find myself as a lead designer is uh, working with so many wonderfully talented people who come up with really great ideas. They get so excited about, it, they go, Oh, I want to do a hero like this. And they'll explain the mechanic and, and they'll, they'll explain, I was thinking about doing it with this hero over here. And I'll think, man, that really is an amazing idea, except I don't think it fits that hero. Like that actually sounds like this other hero over here that we haven't got to yet. Like, could, do you think we could wait until we get there to do it there? Um, and, and it's tough because I think, I, I think for, for designers, we all get really excited about our thing and like we want to do it now. Uh, and, and it can be hard to go, oh, yeah, but it would fit that other character better. And so it kind of creates this stressful moment for me where I'm like, I hope they see it. I hope they see the connection because I don't just want to be the guy that that's like shooting down their fun ideas or something. Um, but that definitely happens. Yeah, that definitely happens. I've done that a couple of times, too, where I started to design something. And I thought, oh, this is really cool. But, yeah, it doesn't fit this character. It would actually work much better over here. So, yeah, we definitely will we'll sort of, you know, take these ideas and, and, uh, and save them in what we call like our slush folder, where it's like, we're going to, we're going to come back to that and use it later. Um, but actually to go back to the first question that was kind of answered was like, do we do the mechanics first or the heroes first or whatever? It is a blend of both. Uh, for the most part, I personally like coming up with the hero first, and then I will design the mechanics uh, inspired by that hero. But we've had a, um, a couple people, who came up with a mechanic they were really excited about. And then we had a discussion where it's like, well, you know, we're thinking about doing this character in this wave and that sounds a lot like them. And so it was kind of a happy 
marriage of the idea they want to do fit a character that we were already thinking about. So it can happen both ways. I think more often it's hero first and then design, but it's, it's not out of the question to do it the other way. Cool. Um, another difficult question maybe is, do you find it difficult to, disting to distinguish your design between characters that have similar power sets, like two stretchy characters or two phasing characters or something like two, that? Two shrinking characters. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's another great question. Uh, it can be certainly cause I, but I think in the end, almost every time that we've ever had to, uh, to tackle that, what it ends up doing is it sort of just pushes you to be a better designer and you, you end up finding design space that you might not have if, if you weren't facing that conundrum. Um, in, in my experience, there's, uh, this, you know, something we call low hanging fruit, you know, where it's like real obvious kind of designs that they're not necessarily bad just because they're low hanging doesn't mean they're bad. Um, but it, it, it most often means that they get used up right away, you know? So it's like, okay, if you're, if you're coming back to something that you've done before, all that low hanging fruit is gone and now you've got to get more creative. And so I think sometimes it can inspire some of our best work, you know, is when we have two heroes or two villains, we really have to differentiate them. Um, another, another, deeply detailed question was how do you distinguish um, between designing a hero card an aspect card and a basic card are are they scaled the same way or are hero cards judged as part of their kit versus solo card what is your your philosophy again i feel like there's some kind of insider like telling people hey ask about this <laughs> i literally this, a half this an hour ago posted in general chat and said hey does anybody have any questions so these must be really smart people is the answer they're not me oh well yeah, no, these, these are great because uh, this is absolutely a conversation we have, again, going all the way back to the origin of the game, me and Nate and Boggs, you know, really, really getting into the weeds with these kind of details. And uh, so from the beginning, it, it has gone this way, that hero cards um, on a whole, remember, there's always exceptions to every rule, but on a whole, your hero cards are always your most powerful. They're your most cost-effective they're the ones that, that you're going to want to play uh, the, the majority of the time. Next come the aspect cards. And, and the rationale here is that, um, you know, the, the hero card is unique to that hero. So, you know, you can only play these cards a certain percentage of the time. Aspect cards uh, you can use with any hero, but only if you've chosen that aspect. So, again, you know, there's some restrictions in play here. Basic cards you can use with any hero all the time. Uh, therefore, they tend to be uh, the lowest on the on the power curve, the least cost effective. Again, with with exceptions to every rule, we know we have some some pretty exciting um, you know allies and supports and things that are are basic. But sort of the the allowance there is that they tend to be unique. You know, um, like Blade comes to mind as an ally. You know, he's a basic ally who's you know, really good, but he's unique. He's he's a one one of card in your fifty card deck, uh, and he's iconic, so he should be good. Um, but yeah, absolutely. On, on a whole, it, in terms of power level, it goes hero first, then aspect, then basic. Um, but again, it's it's a false comparison if you go card to card. You know, like uh, hero cards, you really have to look at within the kit and and how they work with the hero they're paired with. 
Um, so <laughs> there's a lot of nuance in there. It, it's not quite as simple as hero basic or hero aspect basic, but um, because there, there's so many other considerations, but that's kind of the guiding principle. Awesome. Um, the last community question we probably have time for was an interesting question. So they said, how do you decide who gets to design what hero or villain? Um, and has, have you, you and Boggs ever wanted to design the same hero and had to settle out who was going to get to design that character? Yeah, I've gotten a lot better at uh, mixed martial arts since uh, working on Marvel Champions. Um, you know, Boggs has a great ground game. You know, once he gets me off my feet, is it was like game over. So I had to really strengthen my core and work with. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't ever get like that. Uh, for the most part, it comes down to sort of our leapfrog strategy that that we mapped out early on. Like whoever's lead kind of gets uh, you know first pick, just because that's their project. If if you're not lead on a project, it's because you're working on another project. You know, that's, that's how we keep this Marvel Champions content coming to you on the regular is uh, we are typically working on two different waves at the same time, just in different points uh, of development. So um, when, when Boggs is lead on something like Galaxy's Most Wanted, then, you know, it's, it's his pick, uh, wh whichever heroes that, that he wants to do for sure. Uh, and I'm just going to defer to him because that's he's lead on that, and then vice versa. When it's Mad Titan Shadow Wave, that's that's my turn to have uh, first draw. But I I can't honestly remember of a time where it was ever a thing where it was like you know hey I really want to do that you know why do you need to yada yada I don't think it's ever been like that for the most part. Um, I think we're passionate about different characters a lot of the time, and that's been really cool for me to see like. Uh, even this week, I can't tell you about the product, but even this week we had a meeting and I remember Boggs saying, um, yeah, if, you know, if, if, if you're not, you know, too attached to this one, I'm actually really excited about this hero and, I, and I'd like to take a crack at it. I said, great. That's what I said, because I'm, yeah, I'm not as uh, uh, crazy about this hero doing each other a favor. Um, and and that, that tends to happen a lot more than, uh, than any kind of like, oh, shoot, I was hoping to do that one, you know? If there ever is a conflict, I think what you should do is scour the internet for the most obscure fact about that character. And whoever finds the more obscure one, you have to work it into the hero kit, but then you can design them. I'd love to really judge fun. it. Can I judge it? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what right now. If we ever do the two-gun uh, two kid as a hero pack, that will for sure be a Nate French design. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, was, that was his thing. Throughout the entire initial development of Marvel Champions was uh, was when are we going to do the two gun kid? You know who can we cut from the first wave? Can we can we cut you know Doctor Strange to put in the two gun kid? You know like <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And his alter ego can be the rawhide kid. Like I'm with you. I'm actually on the design team for this. There's there's a big community movement to see a modular set with Paste Pot Pete, aka the Trapster. So. Now that we saw okay. the Nova preview and we saw there's a modular set in Nova's hero pack, I'm really hopeful that we'll we'll see that someday. So maybe. Yeah. That is yeah. a character I am not familiar with. And if you oh, need, man. you should you should definitely make it a an April Fool's um print and play directly on the website. 
He's uh, <laughs> he's got the pedigree. He was one of the just, original Masters of Evil. Just ask us to uh, to d- to design it for you, and we'll send you we'll send you our draft. Got it. <laughs> I'd be down for some April Fool's print and play stuff. That that's sounds amazing. Well, this is this is kind of what we do when when there's a character we're not familiar with. We just go to the Marvel fandom initially just to get an overview. It. And I'm on the page now because you you said it. And there's always like a quote first. And this I just got to read this one. This is from Pastepot Pete. You ain't gonna think life's so funny, pal. Once I've covered you in paste. He's he's a man that is about one thing, and that one thing is paste. But the flavor text just wrote itself. Like it definitely just wrote. Yeah, cut it. We're good. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great! It's got to be paste, pot, print, and play. <laughs> that's brilliant, Pete. There it is. Oh my god, paste, pot. All right, Sh- should we do some rapid-fire questions? Yeah, we've got a series of rapid-fire questions, and they're all multiple choice if you need us to give you choices, because I know you're designing like way ahead of the current releases we're talking about. So I'll, I'll let you take it away, Americano. Okay. All right, Caleb. Um, right now, what's your favorite aspect to sit down and play? I like leadership. Okay. Uh, who is your favorite hero from this wave? So Spectrum, Adam Warlock, Nebula, War Machine, Valkyrie, and Vision. T- to play. Adam Warlock. Okay. Uh, it's a close one between Adam Warlock and War Machine. Uh, but I think I just like how unique Adam Warlock is with all four aspects and just one copy of each card. Yeah. It seems like we're getting, a, like once once per cycle, we're getting a, a hero that breaks the deck building rules with different with off aspects. I don't know if that's intentional or not, but that's that's what I've seen with Nebula and or uh sorry, Gamora and uh who's the other one I'm thinking of? Uh we had Spider Woman. Spider Woman. And then right. Gamora and then Adam Warlock. Yeah, yeah, you know it's interesting. I hadn't actually thought about how there's one in each uh each wave, but it it was definitely something we talked about early on that like we're like very early on we want to make sure we're putting out heroes that interact or or with or break the deck building rules. Um okay, who is the toughest nemesis to design from this set mm. or from this wave? This wave. Um okay, I just need to look at the heroes in front of me again to remember who they are. Um uh, probably Probably uh, the the War Machine uh, nemesis, uh, Living Laser, uh, just because sometimes a hero doesn't have a real obvious uh, nemesis, and so we kind of have to like stretch a little bit to find someone that at least they've fought before, you know, hopefully more than once. Um, so I like the Living Laser set just fine, but I don't know how strong that connection is. You know, it's it's not like Valkyrie and. And uh, the Enchantress, you know, where they, they've they've scrapped several times, you know. Okay. Um, if you could have lunch with one of these heroes from this wave, who would it be? Oh, again, Adam Warlock. I mean, he's got all that mystical knowledge of the cosmos. I mean, that would be uh, an enlightening conversation. Okay. Okay, then if you had to sit down and teach and play Marvel Champions with one of the heroes, who would it be? 
uh, vision. I just tell them to plug into the internet, and download it, so I don't have to teach them. <laughs> okay. Super effective. I'm actually yeah. terrible. I'm terrible at teaching my own games. Just full confession. I uh, I think the problem is I'm around it too much, and so um, sometimes like I I really need to be better about it because there's no excuse. But I, I think maybe I get a little impatient. Like uh, you know when it's when you intuitively understand it all because it came out of your head. You're like, why don't you get this? You know, like it's just that's why we hire people to demo it for us at Gen Con. They don't have me do it. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyone else have any questions? Well, I still got Mountain Dew left in my cup. So if you guys want to chat a little more, I'm happy to. Uh, if you need to get going, I'm happy to do that too. I have a question for you. I have a question for you. So um, we've seen some team up cards come out. Um, I guess it was the way you know we started. We got a couple in the Galaxy's Most Wanted way, but we we're getting them in like with Ant Man and Wasp and that type of thing. Are we? Mm -hmm. And we and we did get one with War Machine going back to Iron Man from the core set, and I was super excited yeah. about it. I love the team up idea. Um, mm -hmm. Even if I'm playing like a true solo, I will go out of my way to get the ally out on the table so that I can play the team up card because I love it. It it is what I think of when I think of like a superhero comic. So awesome. Are there any uh team up cards or any team up um that that have been published already that you would say is like your your favorite? Um because I'm not I'm not gonna ask you, hey, hey, can you uh can you please do um, like an Iron Man, Captain America team up card? Because I'll just do my own. If you guys don't ever do it, oh, I would love to. Honestly, there's 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 a lot of interest. There's there's a lot of interest in uh, in finding ways to do just that. And actually, like you know, like wrote a memo and and passed it on for how I would like to see that implemented. And um, FFG is like a it's like a big ship, you know, like it it, it doesn't turn on a dime, yep. you know. So it, it takes times to uh, takes time to run these things up the chain. So there there's an idea out there. I'm hoping it gains some traction. Uh, I know there's a lot of interest, so I'm sure eventually, one way or another, we'll we'll figure out how to do more of those. Because yeah, who doesn't want to see Iron Man, you know, fire his laser beam and watch Captain America bounce it off his shield, right? Like mm -hmm. everybody wants that. Or or Hawkeye and Ant Man. Right. Yes. 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 That was someone actually. Someone actually put that on my Facebook. Um, once, once the first team up card came out, they sent me like the cover of of an Avengers. I think it's Avengers West Coast or something, where Ant Man is shrunk down and he's on the tip of Hawkeye's arrow. It's like the on the cover of the book, and he's like, "When do we get this?" <laughs> I think I think the uh, the title card on it says like somebody's gonna get it. If that's the name of the card, that would be insane. Yeah, there there are so many. There are so many. The the, the sky's the limit um, for what we could do. Um, yeah, so I, I would like definitely. We're that's something we're all interested in. My favorite one that's out right now. I'm probably going to say the uh, flora and fauna for Rocket and Groot, um, just because I have so many happy memories uh, of playing. Uh, I've, I've said this so many times, people are probably tired of hearing me say it, but I, I don't get tired of remembering it. So play, playing Galaxy's Most Wanted and playtesting with Boggs, you know, the sit down and he played Rocket and I played Groot. And every time we played Flora and Fauna, it was like so clutch 
for, for whatever scenario we were in, whether it was, you know, reloading rocket or building up Groot. I mean, it just, it, it was always fun. It felt so good. Um, those were real fun times. So that's probably my favorite one just because of the, the happy memories associated with it. I want to ask about um, Blade really quick. Uh, I was really excited to get Blade. Uh, I was really excited to play Blade. Um, but that's because Blade is, is adjacent to a lot of my other favorite characters. Um, are the, the other Legion of Monsters or other like Marvel monster characters on FFG's radar? Like everything's uh, everything's on our radar. To 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 be honest, like um, it's really exciting time right now. I I I, I kid you not. I think about this uh, sometimes. Um, you know, at the end of the day, when I'm bored or something, I just think about what what a time to be alive. Where like all these characters that I grew up loving as a kid, suddenly in, in the pop culture, everyone knows who they are. They're in these all these amazing movies and. Even even the ones that felt silly at the time when I was reading comics, they're now making like really compelling stories out of them. Um, so yeah, I, it's really exciting to think all these characters that we can pull from. I think right now um, one of the hardest things about you know being one of the lead designers on this game is knowing that there's people out there who are finding it very hard to be patient while they wait for their favorite hero. Like I, I genuinely sympathize. You know, like there's a lot of a lot of Daredevil fans out there who are disappointed with every bit of new news that we put out there. Who are like, ah, oh, okay, these characters are fine, but where's Daredevil? You know, it's like I, I personally love Daredevil. I've been reading the Chip Zdarsky run uh, on the book okay. recently and just, just loving it. Um, but yeah, it's 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 tough. Like we we want to get to all of them. We also want this game to go for a really long time, and that basically means that some 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 characters are are you know going to take longer to get to than others um and now that i've said that and brought up daredevil everyone's takeaway is going to be oh they're not going to do daredevil for like 10 years <laughs> so well as a person who grew up in the 90s like my favorite comic book time even though it wasn't comic book related was the 90s x-men tv show i'm like i'm a big fan yeah. of the sinister with the uh, Mr. Sinister with uh, Scott Summers and Jean Grey and the Wolverine arc with that and the Jubilee even, which was not part of the comic book at the time. But, but you know, like, I, I enjoyed that character. I, I enjoyed the banter between Rogue and Gambit. And I'm like, I can't wait to have this in the universe. But I also understand it's going to be a while. Every, every <laughs> single time we record, Caleb, Crimson is talking about <laughs> the X-Men. Every single time. I'm a Wolverine main. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Uh, for every person out there who's just you know dying for Daredevil right now, there's like a hundred more people waiting for the X Men. <laughs> yeah. um, they, you know, for 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 decades, the X Men were the flagship title yeah. for Marvel. You know, they're they're like what kept the House of Ideas going for for a long time, and uh, yeah, they're they're just they're so popular and so so well known and, and well loved. Uh, and I promise you, like I, I'm the same way. Like the, it's X Men that brought me into the to the world of comics. I love that cartoon. I bought it all on DVD so I could share it with my kids when they got older. And yeah, yeah, it's that's <laughs> that's great stuff too. Oh yeah, yeah. and it, it it was so well done. And with the resurgence of it through Dis Disney Plus, it has been phenomenally fun to to go back and rewatch it and 
see new people watch that storyline, which was not really a comic book storyline. It was really part of the cartoon with Morph and you know, Nightcrawler. Yeah. Oh, man, it was yeah, such a fun story. time. Yeah, they invented that character for the story, right? But that was actually what I liked about the cartoon at the time that I was watching it is that it did uh, borrow so heavily from the comics. Like in a lot of ways, it, it's a lot of those stories were like straight out of the comics. And, uh, and whenever whatever they changed was always really interesting. I felt like sometimes they did it just for the fans so that we could be surprised, you know, by a little twist. Yep. Um, but they did so many classic storylines, right? They did. Yeah, uh, they Dark actually Phoenix. Did, uh, Dark Phoenix. They did it correctly. Yep, they did. They did <laughs> Dark Phoenix correctly. They did Days of Future Past. Yep, and the Apocalypse arc. But that that Mister Sinister arc has always just sat in the back of my mind with me. Yeah, because he he had the very nineties uh, group with him, the Nasty Boys. Remember yep. that? Yep. <laughs> They're not quite as well known as the Backstreet Boys, but you know they were they were adjacent. Yeah, the they, nasty they, boys. They, they they were part of Paula Abdul's uh, you know music group, right? Yeah, the backup. Band. <laughs> you had Ruckus, who like just had Banshee's power to scream real loud. But my favorite, what was the guy's name? Was like made of like just goo, right? He could like uh, just smother people. Like he was come. Kind of, I don't know what the heck was he. Yeah, and he was yeah, blob ask yeah. but different. <laughs> like, yeah, well, he was, was like you, you, could punch, you could punch right through him and it didn't hurt him yep. because he could just move around you. Uh, Gorgeous George, I had to look it up. There Gorgeous you go. George, that's so great. Well, yeah, how I many times? <laughs> when are you ever going to get the opportunity to create a card called Gorgeous George? <laughs> <laughs> then there was the guy. There was the guy named Hairbag. <laughs> There's there's so much you guys can pull from, so much. Yeah, yeah. There's there's there, there's still such a great future uh, ahead of, and and so many different things that we can look forward to. Even though yes, we we may we may complain a little bit that you know it's not here now, but we most of us also know that there, it's all coming. We just have to have time. Got to get through those. Yeah, stories. I keep thinking about. I keep thinking about it for like. Um... Uh, like how how old is the MCU at this time? Like Iron Man came out in like two thousand eight. Two thousand eight, yeah. right? Yeah. So like fourteen years. So imagine discovering the MCU now, and there's already like all these movies out, you know, and it's just like so cool. You can just sit down and binge them and go right through. I keep thinking about that, like a few years from now, maybe when uh, Marvel Champions has been around for a while and then a new player discovers it and they just all these like characters and scenarios and stuff to choose from. Um, I like to think about that because it helps me balance out the, you know, sympathizing with people who are like just, you know, waiting for their favorite character. And, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be honest. One of the nice things about Marvel Champions is the fact that it is much easier to get into halfway through than something like Arkham. <laughs> It, it is so much well, easier. Well, they're making it easier. Yes, making yes. it a lot easier to get into Arkham now that they're they're bundling all the all the uh, cycles together. You get like all your player cards in one box, all your yep. scenarios in one box, and, and yeah, that, that's that that's a, quite quite nice with newer players. But yeah, the uh, the just the way the game is designed is to allow that. Well, I want to play Captain America. I just pick up Captain America, and then. I play with a group that's already established and then I work through that. 
Well, I'm, I am so happy to hear whenever someone points that out that it works for them because that really was, again, one of the driving ideas behind the game before it was even a game was that we're going to make sure that uh, after the core set, there isn't any single product that you need to play another product. Everything's just going to be pick up and play. Even the idea of pre-constructed decks was something that we thought of early on to again lower the barrier of entry you know we just didn't want any we didn't want to put any hurdles in front of people who want to try the game like if all you want to do is pick up your favorite hero pack and join your friend like you can do that you know have at it and and i i love the pre-constructed decks like they're, they're just something that I, I thoroughly enjoy in the game because a lot of times i don't have time to make it make a deck and i just want to experience the, that character you play the pre-constructed i get to experience the characters the way you guys actually kind of you know envision the character to be a little bit too and then later on if i go to play in a more condensed group or something i i I know what the theme of that character is well i i am so glad to hear you uh say that you enjoy the the pre-constructed because i know that um you know it's, it's a wide spectrum of people that we are trying to appeal to with this game and you got some people on one end of the spectrum who are very advanced gamers, very competent deck builders, and you know, to them, the pre-constructed is something you just immediately disassemble and and build a you know a more streamlined, you know, probably stronger version, and that's great for them. I'm happy for them. That's part of the pitch of the game as well. Uh, I just kind of wish they'd quit hating on them so much for the new players who, uh, you know, who don't know how to deck build and and don't have that confidence, and you know the it just gets thrown out there so much like, oh, the pre-cons are terrible, yada, yada. And like, I get it. They're, they're terrible when compared to your, your custom, you know, super uh, cost-effective, you know, personalized deck. Yeah, absolutely, sure. But if you, if you dismiss them as being terrible wholesale, it's like you're saying that the experience of playing them is terrible and, and they're not worth your time. And I just disagree because uh, full disclosure, like, I, I pretty much only play pre-built decks like most of the plane that i do is play testing that's part of the reason but even even when i'm not if i'm just getting together with a friend and i'm playing uh i'm kind of a busy guy uh i don't have a lot of time to do a lot of custom deck building right now so um i'm just grabbing a pre-con and and i love them for that just for that works for me personally as someone who doesn't have a lot of time to do deck building outside work you know uh and and so that's yeah, and so I'm always happy to hear that they're because I imagine that the people that they're working for are largely not going online and 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 sharing about it because I think we don't have a lot of great information to to go. We don't collect a lot of this information, but um, we do occasionally see sales, and with the kind of sales we're getting versus the kind of you know amount of people that traffic the the forums, uh, the vast majority of people buying our game are not going on forums. You know, the vast majority of people. Playing Marvel Champions are playing at home with their with their friends, their family, and kids. Even um, so, it's yeah, it's a lot to keep in mind to trying to appeal that whole spectrum. Yeah, and as advanced or competitive style game, you know, I've been in that field before. Now I'm I'm old and I don't have time for that stuff. <laughs> um, we we do tend to forget that, like, yeah, all we're seeing is competitiveness, but outside they're you know, for every one competitor, you know, competitive player, you have probably a thousand non-competitive who have never I, even I said don't think anything. Far off. 
yeah, I really don't think you're far off in terms of like who's buying Marvel Champions. Um, one of my favorite experiences from working on this game that's very, very special to me is uh, an old high school buddy uh, reached out to me, someone that, you know, I'm still friends with, but I uh, haven't been able to keep in touch with as much as I, I would have liked to over the last, you know, 20 plus years now. Um, he reached out to me to say uh, that, you know, he's been playing Marvel Champions with his boys, you know, and that they're just having a great time. And I thought that was so cool, you know, and uh, yeah, and they're just playing as casual as you can imagine, but they're just having so much fun, you know, punching the villain in the face and saving the day. Yep. Uh, that That is like, that was just so cool to hear. The pre-construct has been really good for uh, uh, us in our group out here because, you know, we have some friends that are like, oh, you know, I don't really like to play board games, but I do like hanging out with everybody. And, uh, you know, when, when they have that whim of, uh, you know what, let me, let me play a game, you know, once in a while. Uh, I know what characters he likes. Oh, the one specific friend, I know what character he likes. And the next time he says, uh, yeah, I guess I'll give it a shot. I'm just going to hand him the Venom Preconstructed that I've had in my back pocket waiting for the day. And nice. I know he's going to have fun because he's playing with the character that he likes. He's sharing an experience with people that he likes. And it's not about the efficiency of it. You know, it's just about like slamming cards on the table and saying, I do damage to this guy or, oh, I help the team this way, doing it in the character that you want. Venom was surprisingly a very good pre-constructed, too. That's true. Yeah. It's it a very strong deck. I can't tell if that was a compliment or sort of like a sideways diss, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Did you oh. stop talking? Put your foot in your mouth. <laughs> That's just Crimson's face. That's just how it is. It's you can never tell. <laughs> I'm totally teasing. No, I want to be. I'm I want to be real clear. That I, <laughs> no, I, I want to be real clear that on the design team, it's not like we. Uh, it's not like we disagree with those advanced gamers that are saying that they can make a better deck. Like absolutely, they can. We 100. percent and and we're not even saying like that they shouldn't. They should. That's what it's a customizable game. They're not doing anything wrong. I I, I just wish, uh, you know, sometimes it, you know it, it's hard when you're online. You tend to voice your opinion so strongly. You know, it's like, you know, give these other people a chance to discover it for themselves. Maybe. Yeah. No. Anyway, I'm not here to tell people no. how to live. So I'll just, I'll just end it there. <laughs> I do have one more request for you. I forgot to ask you about this mm -hmm. ahead of time. So we have been doing challenges in our episode where we pick a scenario and say, play whatever hero you want against this scenario. Or like we might pick heroes. Our last challenge was play as Iron Man or War Machine against Ultron, count up how many drones you destroy, and then we're going to tally what the community does over a two-week period. I made so, him play She-Hulk or uh, She-Hulk or Hulk. Yeah, Crimson made him play She-Hulk or Hulk, and a lot of people booed at him. But it was fun. I enjoyed playing them both. I love them so much. So can you pick a scenario from Mad Titan Shadow and maybe what your favorite modular set is to play with that scenario? And we'll put it out as this this two-week period challenge for the community. Oh, for Mad Titans. Okay. I, my, my first thought. I was going to say, my, my first thought was to go play uh, Red Skull again with the Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, let's see. Um, I mean, I suppose you could play Hood with the Infinity Gauntlet. That would, that would make life interesting. Um, yeah, and you know what? Um, I don't, I, I'm trying to remember how the Hood works, because you, you have to choose a certain number at the beginning, but they don't all get shuffled in right away, right? Yeah, you need seven mod seven. sets for the Hood, I think. And then you yeah. ran, you randomly add them, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think that 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 could actually be really fun if you got like the Black Order, because uh, there's two different Black Order sets, right? There's like the Black Order, and then there's like the Children of Thanos, mm -hmm. and uh, 
those were fun to design because they, you know, they're really kind of conceived of as like uh, kind of two parts of a whole, right? To get all the, the Black Order, you know, was was too big for one set and I needed them to split them up for how they're used in the box. But I, I really like the idea of them being played together because um, they really complement each other. So, yeah, if you could imagine the hood recruiting the Black Order to his little underground gang, <laughs> that would be pretty fun. I suppose if he had the Infinity Gauntlet, you know, that would motivate him. Okay. That sounds good that's, enough to me. That's what we'll That'll do. Work we'll for do us. Hood with the Infinity Gauntlet and the first, uh, at least, well, the first module you put in is going to be the Black Order. Yeah, I like it. Okay. Works. Came from the top himself, so. <laughs> well, Caleb, we appreciate you spending your time, your evening with us heathens, um, talking about <laughs> this great game. Uh, heroes and villains and, and everything in between. So, again, thank you so much for, for joining us. We appreciate you. Yeah, thank you guys for, for doing the show and, and uh, for telling people about our game, and thank you to everybody for playing. It's uh, it's a really fun gig. Uh, it's it's a lot of great working with the people I do and, and being able to work on this property that's been near and dear to me since I was like 12 or 13. So, uh, yeah, just understand that uh, we're we're listening, we're reading the comments, we're taking it all in. We're just trying to keep making the game better with every product. All right. Uh, thanks, everybody, for stopping in. Thanks to Caleb uh, for joining us, and we'll see you guys in the next one. See you guys next time. Thank you, Caleb. Yeah, thank you, guys. That was fun. <laughs>